0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and James Versaibh. Well, the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, has been out and about this morning responding to the latest ONS figures on GDP uh, which report a dip in output for September means that the UK is moving towards recession. Kate just take us through these latest figures.
2: We have several figures uh, to update listeners with this morning from the Office for National Statistics. So in September, the economy is reported to have contracted by 0.6%, but of course that was the month that the Queen sadly passed away. We had an additional bank holiday, and there was a lot of disruption to business and normal economic activity around that. And the ONS estimates that roughly half of the contraction can be added on to, 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 to that event. But that would still suggest that roughly... 0.3% 0.3% contraction is is due to other things. Perhaps the bigger, more worrying figure is the report for Q3, which shows that the economy tracked, contracted by... overall. Um, So that's not some one-off event like uh, that extra bank holiday that uh, signals more of a trend. It should be noted that that contraction is not as bad as uh, many had predicted. The Bank of England thought that it was going to be a contraction of about a half a percentage point. And also these figures are revised and sometimes they're revised upwards. So, you know, we're kind of in a margin of error right now. But the obvious concern with so many predicting recession for the future, the Bank of England now predicting potentially the longest recession on record, that would be about two years long, uh, is that if we contract in Q4, as well then we meet the technical definition of recession and we go from there Um, of course i always do like to highlight that even if you're not meeting the technical definition of recession many people will still feel worse off because inflation is reducing their purchasing power uh you know people are really struggling with their bills at the moment so you know just more evidence really of the grim times ahead
1: Uh, james as i said the the chancellor jeremy hunt has been responding to these figures and this is what he had to say this
0: is disappointing but not entirely unexpected news and what we need to do now is to present a plan to the country to tackle the root cause of the issues we face which is inflation and a plan that protects the most vulnerable and that's what I must do next Thursday.
1: What does this mean in terms of the government's political messaging over the next week as we head towards the autumn statement? Well I
0: think times are difficult I think the difficulty is that the autumn statement, you're going to see the government, you know, tightening fiscally, you know, there will be spending cuts and tax rises. And it's critics will say, hang on a second, what you're doing is going to deepen the recession, you've already seen warnings about that, you know, uh, people like Ian Duncan Smith saying that tax rises will make the recession worse. I mean, the government's argument will be, if you don't do this, uh, and you try and go down the Liz Truss-Quasi-Quarteng approach, monetary policy will tighten dramatically to try and counteract the inflation situation. And that that would be even worse economically, uh, because it was then mortgage rates shooting up, it would make lots of uh, corporate loans non performing, uh, and could have all sorts of knock-on effects. So I think mean, the challenge for the government is this, how do you both reassure the markets that you have a credible plan to get the debt down to the percent of GDP in the medium term, control inflation, but also show uh, voters that you have a plan to make their lives better, despite the difficult decisions that you you have to make. And I think the other question is, you know, there is an international context to this. I think one of the problems that, you know, and there was when Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng were doing what they were doing, but the problem was, uh, I mean, their actions were particularly ill-judged given the international situation. And I think what you will see a lot of, and you see it, I thought it was very, you see it, I mean, you'll see it from, and jeremy hunt's comments today is an emphasis on how a lot of this is a global situation i think one of the worrying things at the moment is all the engines of the global economy are in trouble um the us has high inflation and a tight labor market europe is dealing with the consequence of a massive spike in energy prices and china is is struggling with uh zero covid and i would say the kind of. The fact that the the conditions are becoming far less business friendly in China than they have been previously. So it is hard to see where the, 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 the growth in the global economy is going to come from and what is therefore going to pull the world out of this economic slump, especially because I think we have reached the limits of the ability of central banks to use monetary stimulus.
1: Kate, do you agree with that final point about the the limits of of banks? I mean, we've obviously seen a change of of policy from the Bank of England on uh, that recently.
2: It does appear for now that the era of cheap money has come to an end, that the era of ultra low interest rates and heavy, heavy money printing um, has more or less dried up. Uh, The pandemic and all the spending that took place there, I mean, in the UK, for example, there was more QE in the first year of the pandemic than there was in the decade leading up. The pandemic, it does seem like that's pushed things over the edge. And this is a real wake up call, not just for sort of the trustonomics law and not just for the conservative party, it's a wake up call for labor as well. Um, Because what the market and investors rejected was not more borrowing for tax cuts. Uh, it wasn't a specific policy that they took issue with. It was the overall trend of borrowing even more for day-to-day spending, right? Not one-off spending, not this is an emergency, this is a pandemic, but day-to-day spending with no credible plan as to how you were going to get the public finances in order. And that will apply just as much to more welfare, more giveaways as it will to spending cuts. Uh, So I think we're entering into a tough time and you can see it now. I mean, and and I think very often it's it's a bit disingenuous, but when the Labour Party comes up with a new policy proposal they go and it's fully costed and you know almost whether it is or not is not the point they know that they have to say that now they know that they have to signal that they're keeping the finances um, in mind. And it, it's something all parties are going to have to deal with now. And it's going to be very painful because a lot of very expensive promises have been made, especially around healthcare and pensions in uh, Western countries. And I think there are growing questions around whether or not those promises were ever legitimate and whether or not they're going to be able to be made good on in the future.
1: And James, you mentioned Kwasi Kwarteng. He has given his first interview since being sacked as chancellor and indeed the collapse of Liz Truss's premiership just a few days later what did he have to say and what kind of mood was he in
0: I think he was in kind of reflective mood uh I think he made clear in that interview that he uh, and you could say he would say this wouldn't he but he felt that Liz Truss had sealed her fate by sacking him and I think his argument is not an unreasonable one his argument was that because the emergency budget was such a uh, was so clearly you know a joint enterprise rather than kind of him going off and doing his own thing. And, you know, large parts of that budget were essentially determined by her campaign pledges. But it was then kind of not credible for her to say, oh my God, I've sat the person responsible for that budget without everyone saying, well, hang on a second, what are you still doing here? Uh, the other argument he makes is, that you know, after the emergency budget and the very negative market reaction to it, he had urged Liz Truss to slow down uh, but she was very reluctant to do so, saying that she only had two years to kind of get things done and it was time to kind of crack on and 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 you couldn't slow down. Now, I think lots of people are going to say, Oh, you're 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 just trying to lay the blame at her door. And there is obviously a truth that on the Sunday after the emergency budget, Kwasi Khwasing was suggesting in his interview with the BBC that you know there were more tax cuts to come. But I think it is also true. That as the market turbulence continued into that week, he was uh, more worried about it than Liz Truss was. I mean, she and you know, he was more inclined to say, right, let's get out there and start talking about spending restraint and spending cuts, which she was more reluctant to do. So, I mean, that, that but you know, I, but I also think that, you know, but the nature, it, uh, in some ways, the, 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 the mistake that they both made to come back to, to Kate's point was to come up with a policy that required huge amounts of more borrowing at the precise moment when this era of uh, cheap money and easy borrowing was coming to an end, uh, not just for the UK, but globally.
1: And Kate, what did you make of the interview?
2: Well, look, I I broadly agree with James that um, whilst there's certainly an attempt to write history quickly here in order to perhaps push the blame slightly in one direction rather than the other, I think it was pretty well known at the time that Quasi Kwarteng did want to mention the spending side of the ledger more than Liz trusted, did. And that, you know, wanting to talk about fiscal credibility and wanting to talk a bit more about the medium-term state of the finances was pretty much squashed by number 10. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, Kwarteng obviously is going to want to set the record straight in benefit of his uh, reputation, and he, that's the point he's going to want to get out, and there are other points to be made. Uh, it's very difficult to say that you don't have control over a budget when you're Chancellor, um, and even if it was Liz Truss's ideas, you know, he, he very happily went along with them until it looked as if the markets didn't uh, like it so much. So, it, you know, it is impossible to remove all of the blame, but... I think it became very clear that the prime minister was the most bullish uh, out of her whole cabinet uh, and that increasingly those close to her were trying to warn her that things weren't going great and perhaps she was the last person to accept that. Thank you, Kate. Thank you,
1: James. And thank you for listening.